This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no recounts. This is The Space-Aged Candidate. And this week, an offering that is a bit more uh, probably compact than the last few, but no less interesting for it, I hope. It's all about Gabriel Green, Gabe Green, a saucer fiend and to a degree an experiencer. He was the person who established the interestingly named Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America. He published a long-running series of newsletters slash magazines that serialized some significant contactee accounts and ran for several public offices, most notably the U.S. presidency in 1960. Now we've had some listener requests for a Gabe Green show, and uh, I always was hesitant because I worried that it would be difficult to do much except tell you that he ran for president in 1960, but I think it's going to turn out okay. So, Gabriel Green was born on November 11th, 1924 in Whittier, California to Seth W. Green and Alice M. Stebbins Green. He attended Whittier Union High School, graduated from there in 1942, attended the Art Center School of Photography in 1943. Also in 1943, he uh, he joins the U.S. Navy. I don't know if he was drafted, but... It was World War II, so that's a good bet. He joins the U.S. Navy. Uh, He serves in the Navy from 1943 to 1946. Um, After he uh, demobilizes, uh, he attends Los Angeles City College, graduates from there in 1948, married married to Helen, uh, Helen Silbert. Uh, She died in 1970. He worked as a photographer for most of his life. That's how he made his actual money, operated a photography studio in L.A. And uh, Green first gets into UFOs in the late 1950s and publishes a newsletter called Thy Kingdom Come, which is a, a pretty sort of religiously overtoned kind of title. As to its focus and what was it about, here is a statement of purpose that was published on the cover of number four, I haven't found the first three, but number four from April and May of 1957. Our purpose, to help create greater understanding and cooperation between the peoples of Earth and the peoples of space, to help disseminate to the Earth's peoples the solutions to their problems, to help initiate through political and economic action the procedures for providing abundance for all, to help establish the universal brotherhood of all mankind and the kingdom of heaven on Earth. So there's generally seems to be a political and economic focus to it, but also this whole establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, um, thy kingdom come, right? You know, that's the name of the newsletter. So within the magazine, in addition to reports about sightings and reports and recaps of flying saucer conventions, there are channeled messages from contactees, usually that Green received on cassette tape from the person channeling them. Well, probably not cassette tape in 1957, reel-to-reel tape um, that channelers recorded these things onto, would send out, and Green would uh, would print them and sell the tapes, which is uh, a nice little money-making side project. And these channeled messages go on for pages and pages and pages of, of you know, dense single-spaced typescript. And we're not going to spend time on those channeled messages um, because at this point they don't come from Green. And some of them are from biggish names, sort of long-running serialized uh, accounts from contactees Dick Miller and Bob Renaud, and they deserve their own episodes. And some of the other um, less well-known contactees should probably go into an episode down the line as well, just for us to keep our focus on Gabe Green and not get too sidetracked. Now, Thy Kingdom Come was edited, written, published by Gabe Green, but it was through or for the Los Angeles area 
interplanetary study groups an la area flying saucer club interplanetary study groups note the plural uh, it's not just one club it's a, a collection of study groups but green already had his eyes on a bigger goal down the road there were big things in the works amalgamated flying saucer clubs of america now forming Acting in accordance with the recommendations of the space people, we are in the process of forming an amalgamation of flying saucer clubs and groups in the United States to be called the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, or AFSCA, with your editor acting as director until such time as a greater degree of organization is attained. Some of the purposes are as follows. 1. To create greater prestige and public acceptance through demonstrating that large numbers of people are affiliated with the flying saucer movement. Individual groups lack strength because of lack of affiliation with large numbers of people working for the same goal. 2. To provide greater pressure on Congress through organized pressure of large numbers of people. 3. To hold a national convention for the purpose of attracting national attention and publicity and establishing greater unity and exchange of information between groups. 4. To provide closer proximity to events as they happen through creation of a national organization with West Coast headquarters, providing greater access to first-hand information. Majority of contactees are on the West Coast. 5. To add to the effectiveness and fine work of other worthy organizations which provide representation by known and recognized authorities. Now, there are a couple things I find really interesting about this. One, and you probably noticed this, and I would be remiss not to point it out, is that the concept of the amalgamated flying saucer clubs of America, the idea of a, a sort of supergroup, came from the space people. He had some channeled messages about this, and it mostly just says what Green says there. And because there will be more credibility if there's a larger group with more people, we'll get the public's focus it's not a new thing for flying saucer types to crave mainstream attention. It's not new. It's very, very old. It's very, very human. But what's interesting to me is that this is 1957. So this is the era in which NICAP is already established. APRO is already out there. It's almost like Green is trying to find a way for small local flying saucer clubs and research groups to compete with the likes of a NICAP or an APRO. So banding together against these sort of national behemoths might be a way to do that. He doesn't frame it that way. He frames it as sort of this novel idea of what if there was a big flying saucer outfit with lots of people. But I wonder, and I have no statistics to back this up, and I probably you know should, but I wonder if we are sort of on the cusp of the transition in 1957, and I suspect we are, the transition between the age of the small local flying saucer club being a dominant thing and the large national organizations being the groups that get the headlines and get the column inches in, in the newspapers and those sorts of things. So in the next issue of Thy Kingdom Come, dated June 1957, the cover still reads, published by the Los Angeles area interplanetary study groups, Green reports on the recent Giant Rock Convention and shares a shocking bit of news. The highlight of the convention to your editor was when convention host George Van Tassel announced his candidacy for president of the United States in 1960 at the unexpected request of the space people. Since your editor has declared his intention to run for congressman, and now that Van Tassel has thrown his hat into the political arena, it may be necessary to touch on the subject of political action, since it is one about which there seems to be a great deal of confusion and misunderstanding. So, I had no idea that Van Tassel had announced a run for president in 1957, which is a little premature. Uh, wasn't done, I think, that often back in the day to sort of announce sort of in the same year that the uh, you know president's term started that you know 3 years down the road you know I'm throwing my hat in the ring for 1960 so green is is saying that that he had been planning on running for congress and van tassel was running for president and we know that by 1960 well, I sort of spoiled that at the beginning right by 1960 that would change and green would be a candidate for president so this concern he is leading into about the resistance on the part of some members of what he would continually call the flying saucer movement to get involved in political and social action 
He addresses that under the heading, Political and Economic Action Necessary to the Accomplishment of God's Works. So again, there's this religious overtone. It's political and it's economic, but the overall action is to accomplish the work of God as he particularly defines it. So he says the problem is that people who are opposed to, quote, engaging in any political or economic action probably he says, feel it would be easier, quote, to let some supernatural deity change everything on the earth to a heavenly state of existence in the twinkling of an eye. This is the daydreaming type of wishful thinking engaged in by the misinformed, or the people who are just too lazy to help themselves and others. God helps those who help themselves as God manifests his work through man, end quote. Now, his religious outlook here is becoming a bit clearer, and it will become clearer still as we go on. This is This is very much, um, and I'm not going to get into a history lecture here, but we're sort of verging on late 19th, early 20th century social gospel sort of thing. What is the work of God that man can accomplish on the earth? It is to alleviate the suffering of fellow man through whatever means are, uh, are available. Uh, another quote to sort of end this, trusted quote, trusting in God is a fine thing if it isn't used as an excuse to escape man's responsibility to do God's work, end quote. So this is, this is not, this is spiritual, this is religious, but it's a sort of very realistic, very mainline Protestant sort of view that's, this is, this might be the most, one of the most sort of mainstream religious things we've seen from a saucer fiend. There is also an article about the uh, new nuclear test ban that is being proposed in 1957. The headline is, quote, space people, not communists behind proposed nuclear test ban. And there's also in issue number five, a message from the space people directly addressed to Gabriel Green as the editor of Thy Kingdom Come, which is kind of interesting. It's, it's not Green channeling the alien. It's somebody else channeling the alien with a message for Green. The following message was recently received by Telethought by one of our members who wishes to remain unidentified to the general public for the time being, for personal reasons. U-256 calling. Patrol from Cygnus, planet Deneb. This is now a first magnitude star in the heavens. This is the guardian patrol for scientists, those of God's children on Earth who are working progressively toward peace through understanding of God's laws and the destructive and constructive processes which are taking place at the present time. Please notify all space clubs, all interplanetary servants on Earth, that you must amalgamate and focus or center in one place now. It is time for strength and safety, which will be found in one gathering. Although your individual work will be different, each one is very important, and there must not be a missing link. Send this message as soon as possible to Gabriel Green, so that it may be published in the next issue of Thy Kingdom Come. I'm not sure the Space Brothers have ever been this involved at the local organizational level before. So Green announces plans for the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, which I've said this in previous episodes, sounds like the world's first flying saucer union of some kind. So watershed moment here in the next issue, Thy Kingdom Come number six, still published by the LA area interplanetary study groups, we get a rundown of what Green calls prior choice economics. And the entire issue is given over to prior choice economics. What is prior choice economics? Here's Green's introduction. Prior choice economics, the way to a better living for everyone. For thousands of years, men have looked forward to the hope of a world in which the turmoil, suffering, poverty, starvation, war, and disease that they knew would cease to exist, and peace, abundance, and happiness would take their place and reign supreme. It has only been in the last few hundred years since the migration to America of freedom-loving peoples that this hope began to materialize. But the evolution of man is a slow process, and it took time to lay and develop the foundation for the coming of a new world, the new world of peace, abundance, and happiness. After the founding of this great land of freedom, one nation indivisible, and under the guidance of God, America began to demonstrate to the world that man, living and working in a free society, can and will raise himself to a standard of living higher than any other, and so assumed the leadership and the destiny to guide the rest of the world on to the path of freedom. 
With the advent of the mechanical age and the industrial revolution within the last 100 years, the luxuries of life, which in previous years not even a king could command, became available to the average man. Now, with the perfection of automatic machinery and automatonic industry, man arrives at the physical position in time when his dreams of ages past can now become a physical reality. The brief explanation of how this may be done is contained in the following pages, but it is up to you, the people of the world, to decide which path we shall take. Technological progress is not without its disadvantages if not properly controlled. Man has now developed the ability to destroy his entire civilization, if not the earth itself, or he can go forward to assume his rightful heritage for which he has worked and dreamed for so long. What you do now will help determine which path mankind will follow. That is honestly pretty vague. He does go into some particulars. In fact, he goes into many, many pages of particulars. Here are some of the particulars that I thought we could all stomach. What is prior choice economics? Prior choice economics is the name given to a new economic system developed by Addison Brown, who is also known by the name of John Believer when writing or speaking on religious or philosophical subjects. Prior choice economics was made possible by Mr. Brown's applying to the field of economics his discovery of a basic law of nature, the law of prior choice. The law of prior choice in its simplest form states that everything is, or at least should be, the sum total of all that has taken place before. Oh yeah, that that clears everything up. I've got to be honest, this is completely mind-numbing. Uh, for me at least. I'll include a link to this issue of Thy Kingdom Come in the show notes so you can all figure out prior choice economics for yourself. Now, later, Green will stick to much more easily understood summaries of the benefits of prior choice economics. So, for example, on a list of advantages of prior choice economics, um, things like automatic retirement from work without any reduction in living standard, fair wages for all, uh, Free permanent insurance on everything, no more taxes of any kind, guaranteed profits on all sales, increased production, 100% distribution to the people of the abundance produced, emancipation of women through economic independence, uh, trade between have and have not nations now possible, um, retains American system of free enterprise and prevents communism and socialism. The universal brotherhood of all mankind will be established, world peace in our time, the kingdom of heaven, nirvana, paradise, utopia, or a non-destructive state of existence established on the earth at last. Now, that all sounds dynamite, uh, but you know the, the way it actually works, the, the best way I can describe it is there's some sort of formula or system where your purchasing power is based upon the sum total of your productivity over the course of your whole life. And there's, there's various sort of, sort of cutouts and, and exceptions, and, and it's, it's, it's really confusing. It's one of those things that if you aren't paying too close attention, it might sound almost plausible, but no, no, please do not think this is plausible. I really don't think it is. Now, what's actually more interesting to me is the back cover biography of this issue of Thy Kingdom Come, talking about Green and his, uh, his life and his outlook. This, I think, is more interesting than the actual economic system. Gabriel Green was 33 years old on November 11th, 1957. For many years, he has been interested in the problems of people and has searched for the solution to those problems. He feels he has found the answer to many of them in prior choice economics. His special interest in America and the welfare of mass groups of people comes by him naturally through generations of such famous early American ancestors as John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Henry Ward Beecher, Julia Ward Howe, and Abraham Lincoln. Some of those who know him compare his ideals to the latter and draw a correlation between the emancipation of man from physical slavery in the beginning and the emancipation of man from economic slavery in the end, as both parts of an overall goal to obtain true freedom under God, as was envisioned by the founding fathers of this great nation. Now that's really interesting because I, I know this isn't how he means it, but he's sort of almost saying that he's like like literally descended from John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and and Abraham Lincoln and those other people, uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe and Henry Ward Beecher and Julia, I forget her name, um, Julia Ward Howe, who, who if you don't know who she is, she wrote the battle hymn of the Republic during the Civil War. Uh, these are all people, these are all, you know, resounding, well, except for um, 
except for Thomas Jefferson, these are all resoundingly Yankee figures. Uh, these are all figures. Um, these are figures, especially Howe and Ward and Beecher, who are solidly in the sort of sort of ancestry of that social gospel movement of the the later progressive era, early 20th century progressive era that I mentioned. So Green is very much setting out his ideology and his ideological precursors and the sort of the historic references to which he adheres right there on the back cover of the magazine. So we move on to issue seven, January of 59. And now it's, uh, it's published by published by Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, Incorporated, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Interplanetary Study Group and hundreds of independent flying saucer research groups throughout the world. AFSCA is taking over, and Green provides a little more information about this new venture in the pages of the magazine. AFSCA, new and national organization, appeals for unity and cooperation among flying saucer clubs. The Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, Incorporated, is a nonprofit philanthropic educational religious and scientific research organization conducting research on the subject of flying saucers and interplanetary travel and related subjects. It aims to disseminate the results of such research for the public benefit. Through AFSCA as a medium, it is hoped to achieve better communication, cooperation, unity, and harmony between the many research groups investigating this subject for greater effectiveness of the flying saucer movement. AFSCA is publicizing the existence of the many flying saucer research groups located throughout the world in order to help facilitate the exchange of club bulletins, magazines, and information between groups, and enable interested persons to contact groups in their respective areas. AFSCA will also serve as a clearinghouse or source of reference as to where specific information may be obtained from other groups. Membership in AFSCA does not imply approval of its methods, policies, philosophy, or actions. It does not in any way affect the sovereignty of any individual or group or bind them to participation in or approval of any of its activities. Nor does membership necessarily imply approval of or acceptance of the beliefs, opinions, or information disseminated by any other member. Wow, that's a lot of disclaimers. And in this issue, um, Green's editorial, which is the cheesiest name for the editorial column ever, Gabriel Blows His Horn. It's a little more strident than usual. Uh, It's sort of in keeping with the theme of, of, you know, the new amalgamated organization taking over. He ends his editorial with a call for action, uh, call to action, however you want to say it. I think it's call to action that is strident. And strident is not an adjective I've used maybe ever, but if ever there has been something that could be described as strident, this is it. The task is big, and the bigger the job, the more teamwork is required to do it. We hope that you will become a member of this team through AFSCA membership, a team that can win with your help and cooperation. The more interest attracted to the flying saucer movement as a whole, the more individual contactees and groups will benefit from the increased receptivity and effectiveness of their own efforts in their respective areas of service. We appeal to you to join with us to command better respect and greater public influence from those who may only be influenced by large numbers of people associated together for a common purpose. We appeal to you. We solicit your aid. We sound the call to arms of the army of light to battle against the darkness of accumulated ignorance and lack of understanding. The work requires many minds, many hands, and many talents to achieve success. But success is within our grasp if we will but reach out for it and work steadfastly and unceasingly to bring it. Are we to be or not to be? That is the appropriate question of the times. Our future is what today's actions will make it. When our words are matched by deeds, when our talk is matched with action, when our ideals are backed up by works, then we shall start to materialize that which was promised, and then to experience the wonderful things longed hope for. I do not expect we will fail in our goals. I do accept that through divine guidance and through man's conscious effort, we will cease to be divided. There's a crusading aspect to this that is that is very much I mean, I don't want to overstate this, but he's taking a lot from sort of the, the previous century of American uh, social reform movements in his language and and things like that. It's, it's very interesting. The rest of the issue is uh, an announcement about their upcoming convention and a massive directory of flying saucer clubs that are, I believe, 
some way affiliated with AFSCA or if not affiliated with AFSCA, clubs that he is trying to give the very distinct impression are affiliated with AFSCA. Now, I didn't time this episode out at all. I have no idea how long it's going to be, but I think this is a good point at which to take our customary break. Next time, we look at contactee Rolf Tolano, who was pretty interesting. Also, just a quick plug for friend of the show, Adam Go Rightly. He has a new book that's just come out called Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks, UFO Disinformation in the Age of Aquarius, and it is a must-read. Dulcie Bass, Benowitz, all that stuff in the Southwest. Go Rightly has talked to people that I'm not sure anyone else has talked to on the record about this stuff and produced a book that's just phenomenal in its scope and detail. We'll be doing another Read These Books show soon, and I'll be delving into it a little more thoroughly, but it gets my highest recommendation. You can get it at um, anywhere you get books, probably. Um, Not an ad. I paid my own money for my copy of the book. This is just a strong endorsement. You can check out past episodes, read reviews of stuff, um, and support the show at saucerlife.com. Uh, You can also support us through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much to those who've donated in the past. It is very much appreciated. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram um, at at SaucerLife, and you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com or contact us by post at Shizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. So, with issue 10, Thy Kingdom Come would change its name to the AFSCA World Report, and this is the July-August 1959 issue, and it's published by AFSCA in, quote, in cooperation with hundreds of independent flying saucer research groups throughout the world. So long, Los Angeles area interplanetary study groups, you do not rate a mention on the cover anymore. And recent publicity surrounding saucers led to expanded coverage of the recent, um, AFSCA convention as Green reports. In response to the worldwide publicity received as a result of the recent convention, AFSCA headquarters has received a flood of mail from all over the world, indicating the rapidly expanding public interest in the flying saucer subject and the progressive success of the flying saucer movement in causing better public education toward the subject with its resultant increase of interest, receptivity, tolerance, understanding, and active participation. We were able to check on many of the hundreds of stories published in this area, but in order to most accurately determine the total worldwide AFSCA influence in terms of column inches of newspaper clippings, AFSCA requests your cooperation in sending news clippings appearing in your local papers to us. Incidentally, many of the reputable people attending the convention reported seeing their contacts with outer space. Reports of this type are always most gratifying. Reinhold Schmidt and Laura Mundo both reported that their space contacts were in the audience during their lectures, as did several others. The die has been cast for those of us in the flying saucer movement to exert every effort towards spreading the word to all the world. This is an obligation we have undertaken by virtue of our many blessings received from the space people. AFSCA is dedicated to helping you. Share your knowledge with those who have not had your opportunities. Reinhold Schmidt saw an alien in the crowd. Yeah, that's that's trustworthy. Laura Mundo sees an alien in the crowd. I I don't have a problem with that at all. Reinhold Schmidt, probably lying. This issue also um, also has a description of of the AFSCA mobile unit. AFSCA mobile unit now in operation startles populace. The first mobile unit known to be in existence is now in operation for AFSCA. The bus, as it is commonly referred to, is owned and operated by AFSCA Executive Vice President Dick Miller. Equipped with radio telephone, the unit can be dispatched almost immediately to the scene of activity. The bus has been prominently lettered with AFSCA on each side and the words Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America. This startling declaration has had its effect upon the motorists of Los Angeles County and, according to Miller, if he looks skyward, all heads in the vicinity do likewise, which might prove the point that most of the citizenry would like to believe in the existence of flying saucers. Population startled when Dick Miller dispatches his unit. I bet. We uh, threw a pic of the uh, the, the, <laughs> the unit, um, which is from the uh, the following issue of the uh, of the newsletter up on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, and one listener was able to identify the exact type of VW bus from the old sort of grainy black and white picture, which was really pretty amazing. 
Also in this uh, issue was a summary of the convention schedule. And, and this looks pretty cool. It's at the Shrine Auditorium, Los Angeles, August 13th and 14th, 1960. It is officially opened by uh, the convention chairman, Dr. Daniel Fry. There's the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, there's the National Anthem. Dr. Frank, uh, Frank Strange says a prayer. Uh, they introduce all the speakers and guests. And uh, Ilari J. Wilsey is, uh, or Ellery, Ellery J. Wilsey is the keynote speaker. Then, um, or introduces the keynote speaker, rather, which is, of course, Gabe Green. There's lunch. And then Dan Fry talks. And then Frank Strange's talks, showing actual flying saucer photographs. Then Reinhold Schmidt. Then Gabe Green. And then on Sunday, uh, Dan Fry opens the second day of the convention. Um, Buck Nelson, Kelvin Rao, lunch, Truman Bethram, uh, Calvin Gervin, Daniel Fry, Gabe Green. Awesome. And uh, the official convention hostess was Miss Out of This World, Daryl F. Neiman. Um, I, anybody who knows who Daryl F. Neiman is, hit us up, right? Okay. So there's also this, which is really delightful and sort of harkens back to that suggestion that, um, you know, Reinhold Schmidt saw a space person in the crowd. Space people reported at AFSCA convention. Editorial note. The following was received in a letter from Elena Lane and Leo E. Wagner of the Edifice of Creative Mind, 10804 Lutwiller Avenue, Whittier, California. Leo had an experience Saturday at the convention. While he was in the hall where our book table was, he saw a man standing alone with his head bowed. Leo thought little of this at first and looked away just for a brief moment. In this twinkling of an eye, the man disappeared. On Sunday at the convention, while searching for water for the pitcher among a multitude of people, suddenly a figure in silvery white appeared in front of us. As we wove through the crowd, this figure moved either to the right or to the left, whichever way we would move. She was ahead of us, going in the same direction as we were. And yet, when we came to the broad mirror and glanced in the mirror, there was no form of her. We looked around the corner, and then after a brief moment saw her again. She followed us until we reached the powder room, and then seemed to vanish within the door. Many further reports came to us at Aska headquarters. Some reported that they were miraculously healed of severe ailments. This is not a healing convention, yet it seems that the space people must have known where they were needed, and without any fanfare, supplications, etc., they performed their duties unnoticed. Should any reader of this issue of Aska World Report doubt that the above reports are true, he need only to search the literature of the past, and he will find that through the ages many strange things have occurred. There has been no iron curtain dropped upon the people of the world to keep out the seemingly miraculous events that have persisted through the centuries. Only the mind of the individual prevents him from receiving the good that is rightfully his. That sounds a little bit ethereal, but it fits with the whole thing. Now, after this issue, things get a little quiet. Uh, the next issue is entirely made up of the channeling of Dick Miller. And then after that, it supposedly issues uh, sort of three issues combined, which is what magazines sometimes do when they start to run out of money. They say, well, you know, you know instead of one issue, we're going to have one triple-sized issue, which will take the place of the next three issues. And it, it never really works out that way. But, and that triple sized issue reprinted the entire Reinhold Schmidt story. Basically, I think it was a straight reprint of his pamphlet and we've covered Reinhold Schmidt in the archives. But now, now at long last, we have the July to August issue of the ASCO world report and the announcement of the candidacy of Gabriel green for president of the United States. There's a long detailed platform headed by this preamble. Space Age platform of Gabriel Green, candidate for the office of President of the United States. Preamble. We, the proponents of the new age, in order to present to the nation a solution for her salvation, to wit, to ensure world peace and a common bond of brotherhood among the race of man, to free the nation and its people from financial bondage, to promote domestic peace, to provide for the promotion of science and education, to eliminate from society those conditions which create crime, corruption, and unhappiness, to ensure prosperity and abundance for all our people, and to seek from the divine being the blessings of true freedom and liberty for ourselves and our heirs forever. 
to hereby adopt and ordain this platform, which we offer for consideration by our nation's citizens, signed at the City of Los Angeles this fourth day of July in the year of our Lord 1960, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 184th. Gabriel Green, Early J. Wilsey, Daniel W. Fry, Reinhold O. Schmidt, Helen I. Seibert, Alda Van Buren, Kelvin Rao, Calvin C. Gervin, James G. Johnson. Any political platform that is endorsed by Reinhold Schmidt is probably nothing you want to get involved with. So we won't do the whole thing, but here are some highlights. You won't be surprised to know that Flying Saucers merited their own plank in the platform. Flying Saucers. We affirm that flying saucers are real, that in reality they are true spacecraft manned by people from other planets who are visiting and making contact with various persons of our planet for the purpose of imparting information which can be used for the benefit of all men of Earth. We deplore the actions of our government in withholding information on this subject, which is so vital to the welfare of our nation and its people. Neither will you be surprised that Green had strong thoughts about the space program. Space. We advocate that the United States stop shooting tin cans into space and concentrate on building a true free energy-powered man-carrying spaceship to send first to the moon and then to the planet Mars. We advocate that a message of friendship be broadcast to the space people offering to exchange diplomats with them and offering them the same hand of friendship that we would offer to nations and people of Earth. We would also throw open to public investigation the huge volume of top-secret files on the subject of flying saucers, which are in the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. His position on government secrecy and his solution to the problem is interesting. Government secrecy. We would set up a board of competent newsmen to pass on what should be kept secret and what information should be released to the public. This board would also attempt to declassify other so-called secrets, which all too often can be used to cover up blunders, mistakes, incompetence, and waste. We would make this declassified information available to the public. I'm not entirely sure there isn't some kind of conflict of interest with the uh, media deciding what is um, appropriate to be published and what is not, since, I mean, I just think there might be a bit of a conflict there. Anyway, Green gets into some more terrestrial issues as well, which is nice to see. Labor. We favor the repeal of the Taft-Hartley Act and the Landrum-Griffin Bill because we believe they were designed solely to cripple the labor unions. Under the prior choice system, there would be no need for labor and management to oppose each other, which is only due to the inadequacy of the present economic system. We favor the continuance of strong labor unions in order that the workers might have direct representation of their interests. I got no problem with that. So there's also this sort of full-page ad thing that sort of summarizes all this. If you are fed up with the same hypocritical promises offering you a welfare state and plenty for everybody, but they can't tell you how to pay for it without raising your taxes or the national debt beyond our ability to pay, if you want adequate school rooms and unlimited education for all, medical and dental care, better housing, highways and transportation, more jobs, shorter work hours, better wages, more profits, I'm gesticulating wildly while quoting this, retirement from work without reduction, living standard, and 100% distribution of all that our advanced technology is capable of. If you want all these things for our people without taxing them to pay for it, if you want more freeways instead of traffic jams, free energy instead of costly smog-producing power, full employment for all who are willing and able to work, and full production without surpluses and layoffs, blah, 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 then vote for Gabriel Green, your write-in space-age candidate. His heart is with the people for the independent, nonpartisan president of the United States. If you were paying attention, that's mostly his benefits of prior choice economics sort of translated into stump speech talk. But this is, I mean, this is almost the definition of, you know, putting yourself in a position to have overpromised and, you know, let's say every other candidate was hit by a bus, if elected, being completely unable to deliver. So he did get some news coverage and not much of it was very useful for his campaign, but this is the most straightforward of the reports from the LA Times, August 10th, 1960. Selected by outer space, flying saucer man runs for president. 
Gabriel Green, a 35-year-old bachelor from Whittier, threw his hat in the ring yesterday for President of the United States on the flying saucer ticket. At a press conference in the Biltmore, Green announced that he had been selected by people from outer space. He said his advisors were from the Alpha Centauri system and, quote, looked like people. Green admitted he doesn't expect to beat Vice President Nixon or Senator Kennedy, but he does believe he can carry Whittier if he gets enough publicity. He said the space people could overpower the Earth in a few hours, but they don't operate that way. They want us to believe in them first, he said, so they can teach us peace and economic security under universal law. Quote, they could completely take over this planet between breakfast and lunch any day of the year, but that would be in violation of their principles. Green said he has seen at least 75 flying saucers from space, the last contact being only three months ago. I have seen them with my own eyes, he said. Contrary to popular opinion, he said, spacemen are not new to this planet, but have been, quote, interfering all along. They're more advanced than we are, mentally, spiritually, and scientifically, he said. Green said he doesn't expect to be believed because skepticism is the general attitude of the race. They didn't believe the world was round, he said. They didn't believe we could crack the sound barrier, and we cracked it. The reporters wouldn't even report the Wright brothers' early flights. Green was asked why he didn't have a Martian or a man from Venus at his press conference to help prove his point. What would be the use, he said. If he said he was from outer space, nobody would believe him. Green was wearing a spectacular set of red socks. Did you get those from outer space, he was asked. No, he said. I bought these right here in Los Angeles. The presidential candidate said the women in space are beautiful. One of my friends made contact with one of them not long ago. He said she was really out of this world. Something tells me this is going to be a very tough campaign, especially when the news coverage focused on the UFO stuff rather than his position on Taft-Hartley, which is actually a useful position to have in 1957. Um, I'm not sure it would have helped him win. It's kind of a spoiler. He didn't win. But um, yeah, so there's then this story in which he appears. It's it's a long one. We sort of break it up with some commentary from the San Francisco Examiner, August 28th, 1960. It has the deeply unfortunate headline, No Booze on Venus, Red Indian in Orbit. My God. Speculation about the first man in space was rendered obsolete yesterday by Chief Standing Horse, an Ottawa Indian who has made round trips to Mars, Venus, Clarion, and Orion. The solemn chief yesterday recalled the highlights of his interplanetary jaunt for the avid delectation of some 1,000 delegates to the spacecraft convention at the Hotel Claremont in Berkeley. It was the night of July 12th when the astral ship berthed on our Indian reservation in Oklahoma. I went aboard. The ship was 250 feet in diameter and 28 feet high. We set out for Mars, then for the edge of the moon, and saw the wondrous cities and people on Venus and on Clarion and Orion. A rapt audience heard the chief extol the wonders of the astral people and the astral lands. I had my first big astral meal on Mars. A big fleshy woman served me cereal, boiled fish, and no hard liquor. Then we headed for Clarion. Clarion, I wonder if we're going to meet Aura Rains. Also, a big fleshy woman. My God. We didn't eat there, for we only stayed 20 minutes, but we headed for Orion. These are planets on the other side of the moon, where we ate fruits and vegetables and no hard liquor. But the chief didn't knock outer space cuisine. It was fit for a kingly gourmet. I had boiled mutton on Venus, and I didn't mind the absence of intoxicating drink. I'm a pastor of the Holy Church of God and abominate smoking and hard liquor. The chief was absent from his tribe for four days and nights and two half nights, he said, and is ready to go into orbit at any time after the Berkeley Convention ends today. They're coming for me again. I don't know when. I don't know why. But if the planets Orion and Clarion, they're hidden from us on the other side of the moon, want visitors from Oklahoma, I'm ready to answer the call. The astral visitors attempted to persuade the chief to abandon the atom bomb, and this was not their only venture into contemporary U.S. politics. Ah, now, now you note the segue. Yes, we're getting into Gabe Green territory. In a direct attempt to bring pressure on U.S. electors, they sent an emissary to Gabriel Green in Los Angeles and urged him successfully, as it turned out, to run for president. Gabriel's supporters were giving away Abe in 1860, Gabe in 1960 buttons in the hotel lobby, and Gabriel himself, an intense, likable young man, told this uncommon story. I'm running for president because I was asked to do so by emissaries from outer space. A spaceman from Alpha Centauri came to my Los Angeles apartment a few months ago and talked me into throwing my hat in the ring. He didn't have any name. Everybody knows spacemen don't have names. 
We exchanged telepathic opinions, and then he spoke in English with an American accent. Everybody knows spacemen have no names. Folks, I'm not sure he's going to be able to carry Whittier. I'm just not sure. But Green would be foolish to count on 100% support, even from the delegates to the space convention. Well, he's entitled to run for president, but I'll vote for the best man for the job, said former Army Major Wayne S. A. Ho, convention master of ceremonies, also billed as director of Washington Saucer Intelligence. Major Aho, generously intent on coping with a layman's skepticism, averred he had seen 13 flying saucers himself and does not exclude the possibility of spacemen intervening in American presidential elections. Aho was at pains to explain that the Washington Space Intelligence Bureau to which he belongs is not in any way connected with the government. It's a private organization, but we have our sources of information and we believe they're good grounds for thinking that President Eisenhower met secretly with spacemen at Muroc Edwards Air Base in California. Just for policy from now on, spacemen will always be pronounced spacemen. Look, Gabe Green's got to get this AHO endorsement locked down if he's got any chance at all. And note the presence of the perennial Eisenhower meeting with the aliens at Edwards Air Force Base. This, this newspaper article has it all. Aho was reluctant to say why the president should want to conceal such a summit conference from the American people, but recalled the opprobrium that was traditionally visited upon the innovator. He pointed out, look at the way they treated the people who first said the earth was round. If Eisenhower were to admit now that he had met spacemen, they would probably try to have him locked up as a lunatic. We're sure that space emissaries have visited more heads of state than our president, but all of them are keeping quiet about it. In full agreement with this theory was George King, a 41-year-old Londoner who was in America because of a casual encounter on Putney Common, where the Tudor kings once disported themselves beside London's Thames. I met a man from Mars on the Green. He had a cinnamon-colored skin and was seven feet tall. He told me, you'll present yourself in the Americas and spread the true message. So here I am. And now a George King run-in, and he was only 41. Every picture I've seen of George King makes him look about 60. And it's never good when people see a picture of you and then find out your real age and what they think is, wow, they look way older than that. That's never, that's never great. Tonight, King will commune with outer space in front of the assembled delegates as he has done often before at similar gatherings and on TV. He explained, I can't say the exact time, but it will be between 8 and 8.30 p.m. These people aren't hanging at the end of a line waiting for us. They will confirm the precise moment by telepathy. I will be ready and willing. When he moved away, a blonde came up, sat down, and asked, Do you want to interview me? I'm from outer space. I've given dozens of interviews to the Mars Mercury. She smiled an astrally, earthly smile. But enough was enough. And anyway, who wanted to talk to people who were serving boiled fish at that altitude to an Indian chief? It's an interesting story, and it's not great for Gabe Green, because this is a story about the UFO convention, and he is one of the colorful weirdos at the UFO convention, like the Native American who was served food by a fleshy woman, like Wayne Aho, who is absolutely not connected with the government in any way, and George King, who communes with the aliens. So the election comes and goes, and as you may know, the election of 1960 was one of the tightest in American history, and... Green was not the winner. And since he was a write-in candidate, it's tough to know how many votes he got. The total other votes for 1960 was uh, 11,128, or 0.02% of the vote. So Green got something less than 0.02% of the vote. And you've got a feel for Green. No, you don't. No, no one made him say the aliens recruited him. He should have stuck to that congressional run he mentioned in 1957. So while continuing to run AFSCA and organize conventions, and in his memoir, Jim Mosley was under the impression that Green was doing pretty well financially from these, Green wouldn't stay out of politics for long. In 1962, he decided to run for the U.S. Senate from California, and he was smart. He runs as a Democrat. And the announcement in the April 24th, 1962 edition of the Pomona Progress sounds downright normal. Green opens drive for seat in Senate. Gabriel Green, 37, Los Angeles economist, running for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate in the June primary, launched his campaign by distributing literature at a town meeting for democracy held at the Shrine Auditorium last week. 
Green is one of four Democrats running for the nomination. The others are State Senator Richard Richards, Los Angeles, J.F. Coleman, Redondo Beach, and Henry Mermel, Compton. The Green for U.S. Senate Committee is headed by Cletus J. Gofford. In announcing the start of the campaign, Gofford said, While Richard Richards is a formidable opponent, we feel that a frank approach to urgent and controversial issues will strongly appeal to California voters. Gofford said some of the issues Green will discuss are disarmament and nuclear testing, recognition of Red China, the House Un-American Activities Committee, military conscription, a national health insurance plan, a Department of Peace, capital punishment, and government secrecy. From 1953 to 1955, Green studied and worked with economist Addison Brown in San Francisco, and from 1955 to 1958 was employed by the Los Angeles City Board of Education. He is currently writing and lecturing on economics and doing research in the fields of economics, government, and space exploration. There wasn't a single UFO reference in that entire thing. It's almost like he's running a real campaign. He has a campaign manager talking instead of him, which is smart. And there's another example. In the Whittier Daily News on April 25th, 1962, in it, Green was interviewed and explained that he thought the House Un-American Activities Committee was engaging in unconstitutional investigation and harassment of American citizens, and he would put a stop to it, or he would try to put a stop to it if he were elected to the Senate. And he challenged uh, Richard Richards, the front runner for the Democratic nomination to, you know, make a similar statement, sort of challenge. Hey, what are you going to do about this, Richards, if you get in there? This is the sort of thing politicians do. Um, And nobody mentioned the color of his socks because it didn't matter because he was sounding like a serious candidate. So he doesn't get the nomination. But he comes in second with 171,379 votes, which is 8%, which is, you know, far below what he needed to get the nomination. But he was running outside the party structure. He was running not as anybody who was known at all, really, unless you were a California flying saucer person. This is pretty good, and it demonstrates something very significant. It demonstrates that when you're running for political office, having your name actually be on the ballot is a is a huge advantage, right? So for the moment, he's out of politics, and he would devote more time and energy to AFSCA, uh, with the organization continuing to have a more uh, spiritual orientation. Our greatest defense from self-annihilation is an enlightened public. Civilization's greatest enemies are those who would keep the people ignorant of the truth that could bring them a greater measure of freedom. These enemies of progress foster ignorance in order to retain their control over others, to promote their own special interests, and to maintain the status quo, regardless of how many people suffer as a result. Many of us in the Flying Saucer movement are gradually receiving more evidence and information with which to inform and to interest and influence those who are ready to act now, to change our way of life, to coincide with universal laws before it is too late. Science, the understanding of God's laws, has progressed on other advanced planets so that destructive conditions are almost non-existent. We can learn and benefit much from the experience, wisdom, and knowledge of these other more evolved peoples. We must prepare for change in one way or another, for change will surely come, either through great destruction or through great constructive actions. The outcome will be determined by the action or inaction of our people to promote truth and to act on presently available solutions to problems. And this little snippet from UFO International, the publication changed its name again, is pretty interesting. It is obvious that many benefits could be derived from having direct contact with people from advanced civilizations on other worlds. Our primary objective, however, is not to learn about every facet of life on the billions of other planets in the universe merely for personal pleasure or for our own amusement or amazement, but rather to apply the universal principles and advanced knowledge of which we are now aware toward improving conditions for all people here and now on our own planet. Our governments have been offered aid from extraterrestrial delegations. Why shouldn't we now utilize the experience and knowledge of peoples from advanced planets to solve the many problems that seem so insurmountable to us today, but which have their solution in the knowledge of more advanced civilizations? Wake up, America. Wake up, world, before it's too late. What shall our future be? Abundance or want? Health or disease? Peace or chaos? Paradise or oblivion? Whatever you do or do not do to help this cause will help to determine the future you are making for yourself and future generations to come. 
He also publishes a book co-authored with Warren Smith in 1967. Um, it's called Let's Face the Facts About Flying Saucers, and it is not great. It's it's fairly short. It's like 125 pages in pocket paperback size, and it sort of runs the gamut from the origins of the modern flying saucer age to a few stories from, you know, pre-flying saucer age of things that might have been flying saucers or extraterrestrial visitation, and also some contactee stories here and there. He doesn't really talk about himself, uh, but the most intriguing thing, oh, there's two pages on Mothman, So, but the Mothman thing was really new. The book came out in 67, and Mothman was you know, right around there. So the most interesting thing is the little sort of biography of the author. Gabriel Green, it says, is a is president and prime mover of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of North America. That's the wrong name. Under his leadership, the nonprofit organization has become the largest UFO research group in the country. No, I don't think so. In 1964, Mr. Green was candidate for president on the flying saucer ticket. Can you spot the problem? Yes, that's right. There was no flying saucer ticket, per se. And the election was in 1960, not 1964. I feel bad for Green because he's a careful guy. You'd think he would have corrected that if he'd been given an opportunity, but no. The book goes out with the wrong year he ran for president, which is really, really sad. But that's okay, because he's going to run for president again, which is fine. Um, I mean, the current sitting president at the time, Richard Dixon, had lost in 1960, won in 1968. So maybe Green was thinking, I lost in 1960, so maybe I'll win in 72. Other candidate from Whittier campaigns for flying saucers. The other presidential candidate from Whittier, California, says he talks with people from other planets. Gabriel Green, 47, is planning the strategy which he hopes will sweep him into the Universal Party presidential nomination at the party's national convention March 25th and 26th. Green, a former professional photographer, is president of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America. He ran for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate in 1962 and said he received 171,000 votes in the primary. The following year, the Universal Party was founded in California, and Green decided it was for him. I have always been interested in its goals. The basic plank of the platform will be dissemination of information about the new principles of economics, he said. What new principles? Why the principles that have been employed on other, more advanced planets throughout this galaxy. According to communications from people who pilot spaceships from other worlds, they have been able to solve most of the problems we now face through application of universal economics. So this is pretty interesting. He's running for the nomination of a new party. And this is, if you Google Universal Party, what comes up on Wikipedia and other things is not the Universal Party that we're talking about here. This Universal Party was the creation of Daniel Fry and his understanding group. So there's a little press coverage for this 1972 run. Um, there's one article that is Actually, there's a couple articles that basically just mention it in passing. They're sort of fluff pieces on all kinds of, you know, third parties that have got no shot. The The longest and sort of most extensive article about Green's run is about the Universal Party more generally. And it's it's basically... You don't have to believe in flying saucers to vote for the understanding party, but coincidentally, most of our voters do. Um, the origins of it with Dan Fry and, and understanding. What's interesting about this story uh, about the Universal Party is that it mentions that Green is the presidential candidate and that Fry is his vice presidential running mate. The only photograph in the article is a big picture of Dan Fry. So Green is sort of getting pushed off to the side. Now, the election in 1972 was wild. I mean, it was wild, the primary season especially. And if you're into presidential election politics um, and you haven't, I, I urge you to go read Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. It is one of the most entertaining and interesting books about a presidential election 
I've ever read. And I need to reread it to see if he mentions Gabe Green. I'm not sure he does. So in November, as uh, as, as you might know, Richard Nixon wins re-election in the biggest landslide in a long, long time. It's not good for Green. There are recognized political parties in California, Democrats, Republicans, American independents, peace and freedom. Then there are the unrecognized and little heard of parties such as communist, libertarian, prohibition, socialist labor, socialist workers, and universal. All of these, notes Secretary of State Edmund G. Brown Jr., gathered votes in the presidential election in November through the write-in route. Libertarians, for example, cast 980 votes for their slate of presidential electors. The socialist workers picked up 574, communists 373, socialist labor 197, and prohibitionists 53. Not many, considering President Nixon's leading 4,544,134 and Senator George McGovern's 3,341,824 votes. But what amused election officials, and surprised them, was the mere 21 votes cast for the slate of electors pledged to the Universal Party candidate, Gabriel Green, and his vice presidential running mate, Daniel W. Fry. The Green-Fry vote was 24 less than the 45-member slate of electors, indicating some of the electors either stayed home or voted for someone else in the Election Day showdown. So basically, just to clarify that a little bit, and that was from the Sacramento Bee in uh, December after votes were certified, um, California had 45 electoral votes, which means that they send 45 electors from the winner's party to the, uh, the Electoral College to cast those votes, and Gabriel Green couldn't even garner enough support to have enough actual electors to go which is which is really kind of sad. However, he was a write-in in California. The only state on which he was actually on the ballot was Iowa. So he was on the ballot, the presidential ballot in Iowa, and in Iowa, he received 199 votes. So again, being physically on the ballot tends to be, I mean, this is the impression I'm getting. You get more votes when your name is on the ballot. So that's today's sort of real world political, uh, political eye-opening revelation there. So that's the end of his political life. And he stays, stays active in AFSCA, even though the organization declines like many UFO organizations. And he'll continue to publish um, newsletters. Uh, the, the most recent one I found was the AFSCA Information Sheet from 1984. And in this, um, as he had been doing apparently since the early 70s, Green was channeling messages himself. And in the 1984 issue of the Information Sheet, he had a message from an old friend of ours. Greetings, people of Earth. I am Ashtar of the Ashtar Universal Command of Free Planets. I come to you today to give you a brief summary of the total amount of information and guidance that we have given through this channel, Gabriel Green, over the last 13 years. To begin with, your planet, the planet Earth, is at a crossroads. Since your people have been given free will, the freedom to express evil as well as good, the choice is whether your planet and its peoples will transcend this critical period in its evolution and evolve into the new age relatively non-destructively, is a choice that your people must make collectively. Green's Ashtar channelings really are more of the same like that. It's, it's about the future. It's about human collective action. He fades away from the scene. Um, he dies on September 8th, 2001. And Gabe Green is one of those flying saucer figures who might be kind of considered a one-trick pony. He's the guy who ran for president in 1960 and lost, but he's also the guy who ran for the Senate and did about as good as probably anybody else running against an established politician would be, especially for an office that high up. He ran for president on the universal ticket and garnered more votes in Iowa than he did in his home state, which is kind of, you know, sad, but he played a big role in promoting various contactees that we will look at in episodes to come, like Dick Miller, like Bob Renaud. He organized conventions. He promoted things. Sometimes you don't have to be the guy who starts the new religion uh, or 
publishes, you know, the, the classic, you know, contact eWorks or, or writes the book that everybody still talks about 70 years later. Sometimes you can be the guy plugging along, doing the newsletter and putting people in touch with each other and with ideas that they might not have otherwise encountered. That's not too bad of a saucer life. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Archives for the Unexplained for their amazing array of ancient saucer mags. They literally made this episode possible. Some expansion of the credits here, because credit is due, and people have asked. Music and special sounds are by the Chizo Media Radiophonic Workshop under the direction of Freddy Von Ranke. Um, some people have asked, well, where do your little musical cues come from? It's like, well, we've got a bunch of instruments sitting around, and we've got people who play with them and they allow us to record them. So Freddie Von Ranke, uh, absolutely not a pseudonym for uh, anybody I actually know. Uh, the associate producer of The Saucer Life is, as always, Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs>